welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, on the way in all of our campuses, you should have been handed uh, the notes for this weekend. And if you'll grab those in just a second, we'll, uh, we'll get into this message. Um, I had two quick announcements for our campuses that uh, I, I want all of them to, uh, to be aware of. Our Easter services take place um, at all of our campuses. So we do Christmas in one location together. Uh, for Easter, we stay in our campuses and we just add services. Uh, to get into those services, what we like to do is to be able, you know, it's, it's one of the busiest times of year, uh, so we like to do tickets. Tickets are free. You can have as many as you like. What we'd ask is that you take one for everyone in your family and then for any friends that you plan on inviting. And by the way, it's a great service to bring friends. We always have people that are born again uh, at, at these services. If you just have people, maybe just pray this, God, who would you want me to invite? And then don't be surprised if God doesn't put someone in your path to, uh, to invite. So maybe take a few tickets for the service with the idea that I'm going to give these out to somebody. Again, they're free. You can go to any service that you want to go to. But what we're trying to do is to set it up where uh, not just one or two services are overloaded and then the other ones end up where there's so much room left over that people miss out on it. So if you'll help us by grabbing tickets to the service you would like to attend, Again, take as many as you want. They're free, but help us. It helps us just to organize better and to prepare better uh, for that day. And then uh, just the other thing that I'd like all of our campuses to be aware of, at some of your campuses, you've already gone through some of the new service times and some of the additional services that have been added. Uh, at some of our campuses, we're about to uh, add some different service times. The question would be, uh, maybe, John, why are you guys doing that? What's the purpose? What's the reason behind it? And I thought maybe just sharing uh, our heart behind it would help you to understand. It's not because we're, we're trying to um, shake up uh, your, your ability to, to find a habit and to stay in it. That's not, that's not yeah, we're not trying to make it difficult for anybody. Our thought just simply is this, um, in regards to the service changes that are happening and have happened at our different campuses, our heart is simply this, we're always trying to get better. Do you think that's a good idea? We're always trying to get better. Everything we do, we want to become more excellent at it. And in particular, the way that we're looking at what we're doing right now, we're asking ourselves, how can we do ministry better than we've ever done it before? That's what we're asking. So we think to ourselves that if we make a few little adjustments when it comes to service times, uh, and in particular on what days they are, times they are, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, honor of uh, the fact that a lot of visitors happen on Sunday morning between set times, and how can we be more uh, efficient and effective at reaching those people? How many of you think that it's never an alternative to tell someone we don't have room for you? We should never say that, man. So we're always thinking, how can we respond best to the growth that we pray for? Well, this is what that's about. It allows us to do it. Our heart would be that you would jump behind it and see that we're not trying to make anything difficult ever, but we're always trying to improve and respond to what we think God is telling us to do. So look forward to that. Uh, be, be on board with that. And I think you're going to find it actually works better for everybody involved in it. All right, grab your notes. Let's go ahead and get into this this weekend. Um, I've got a confession right off the bat that I need to make. I am supposed to. Everything that we do, we do ahead of time. We prepare for it. Like, look at the banners at all of your campuses, the one right behind me. This is supposed to be on the Last Supper. Uh, it even got announced in the video announcements that I'm teaching on the Last Supper. Guess what? I'm not teaching on the Last Supper, okay? So, so what the Last Supper turned into the last days. So why in the world, pastor, would you go from the Last Supper to the last days? Because Jesus actually in the last week of his life, the last six is what we're teaching on, one of the, the major uh, um, issues 
that Christ gets into right before his arrest, he begins to talk about the last days. In fact, Matthew 24 is the most concise and clear scripture we have of Jesus himself addressing what the earth would be like in the last days before his return. Now, interestingly enough, when he goes to teach on this, he's teaching on it a couple of days before he is arrested and, and begins the process of the passion. So, so what we have then, our message is, is just simply, we're trying to take what were the six things that Christ was teaching on the, the, the final week of his life? Because we think this, if, if that final week, if Jesus is intentional and on purpose with everything he's doing, then we should probably look and realize nothing he's teaching on this, this week is the culmination of everything he's been trying to say. So if he teaches then on the last days during this week, it's probably important for us to learn about those things. So, so literally, I just, uh, in, in studying, I thought, my goodness, he actually teaches more about the last days than he does about the Last Supper. So I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to yield to what I think God is saying here and, and go with that. So I apologize. Um, it was going to be the Last Supper, but now it's the last days. There you go. All right. Um, <laughs> under the transition point in your notes... I think that he gives us a warning to watch out. And he actually uses the words, watch out. Matthew 24, 36, the second part of that verse. Uh, remember, all of Matthew 24 and 25 is Christ actually teaching on the, the, the end times, the last days before he returns. But these words right here, the disciples ask, when will this happen? 24, verse 3, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So he's asked the direct question, what, what's it going to look like? What are the signs? What, what will be the condition that we're to watch out for? So then Jesus launches into the discourse and begins to teach. Here are the things that will happen in the last days right before I return. Now, if you go through all of 24, my goodness, there is a lot there. What I did was just to break it down into three things that I saw were major discussions that he, he sort of uh, talked about. The first one is deception. And I would just throw this thought out to you. If you are a believer, okay, there, there's, a, there's a quantifying statement there. If you are a believer, would you, uh, and especially if, you're, um, if you've lived for a little while, would you not agree that we live in a day and an age where there's a lot of deception in the world today? Yeah. Things that were taken for granted not that long ago are now completely up for question. If not held almost in the opposite of where they were just a few years ago. Isaiah said it this way, uh, Woe to you who call good for evil, evil for good, and who substitute a lie for the truth. Yeah. He, he's predicting that there would be a time, a day and an age when that would take place. All right, Jesus in Matthew 24, 4, uh, he's asked the question, remember in 3, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? In verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one, what does it say? Deceives, Deceives you. So now, let me, let me see if I can uh, quantify this and, and make this as simple as possible. The problem with deception is you never know that you're deceived. You agree with that? Yep. So, it, it, so some of you might be like, well, that would work for you too. Maybe you think you know and you're deceived. Well, let, here's, here's what we would stand on. That our truth, we're not just picking out of the air. And we're not using uh, a truth that we learned from our families growing up or from the, um, the world at large today. 
our truth is based on this right here. So you might say, well, what, why, why credit that with being the ultimate truth? You credit something in this world with ultimate truth. Even if you say, I don't believe in ultimate truth, that's your ultimate truth. That's true. So we all hold on to something that we think is ultimate truth. I believe this is more than ink and paper. I believe that this is inspired by God himself. And that, that if you sit there and you say, well, I don't know that I believe that, that's okay. But here, here would be the difference that I would say to you is that before you just arbitrarily go, I don't believe it, maybe you should see whether or not it works. So it actually does work. So that when we say deception, gosh, deception compared to what? Well, I say deception compared to what the Bible says. That's where I would come from in this message. So Jesus is saying, uh, watch out that no one deceives you. The problem with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. You think you're right, but you can be deceived. Ground zero in my mind today, as far as the church is concerned, believers are concerned when it comes to the idea of deception, ground zero today is this. It's to discredit the Bible. It's, it's to cause the Bible uh, in the eyes of the world to be a an old-fashioned book of fairy tales, misguided rules and regulations, and otherwise not even um, uh, with it when it comes to the world today. It's not even something to turn to. It's so, it's so antiquated. And so there's a, there's a great attack then on any person who refers to this as being, um, this is my ultimate truth. There's an attack directly against that person. Here, this is a fact. I'm not making this up. I'm not spewing it out. The most, the most, without question, attacked people group in the world today, persecuted people group in the world, not in America, in the world today, are Christians. If you don't believe that, there's a secular book called The Global War on Christians. Pick it up. Read it. And you would think, well, maybe it, 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 it uh, zeroes in on uh, the issue between Christians and Muslims. Actually, that's a very small percentage of where Christians are persecuted in the world. It goes through all of the major governments of the world today and an anti-Christian stance that they have, including our government. It's very much out there today. The, the idea is simply Jesus saying, watch out that no one deceive you, but deceive you from what? So we believe we're reading in this particular case the very words of Christ. Watch out that no one deceive you from the words of Christ is what he would be teaching. Yeah, that's good. Ground zero is to discredit the Bible. Let me just quickly, I, I will give you two areas where I see probably in our country and, you, and I think you would see it through uh, the Western world in particular, but two areas in particular in our, our country where you see a discrediting of the Bible going uh, crazy today and infiltrating the church constantly. The first one would be uh, the idea, the argument between creation and evolution. You agree with that? So everything that's written outside of the Bible, is they, the, the argument's not even, let's compare the two and ask, it's written like this, if you believe that, you're an idiot. 
This obviously is the truth, and yet their theory consistently changes as they discover, uncover, or recover, whatever. Now, here's the problem with it. Whenever you look at Genesis 1, and 2, and 3, God, for whatever reason, doesn't choose to disclose to us how he did everything he said he did. So therefore, we're left with a little bit of a problem in that some of what he did, he didn't say how he did it. And he leaves it to us just, you either believe that I can do it or you don't believe that I can do it. So I, I, I guess I'm saying that instead of here. So if you're there and you're like, well, I, I love God, but I am confused on the issue. It confuses me too. I agree with you. Some of the arguments out there, I cannot explain some of the things that are out there, but I can also bring up arguments that can't be explained on the other side of the issue too. So the whole thing though comes down to this. Is it in your belief system to believe that God is behind the ability for the earth, the stars, the universe to exist? Yes. So if it is in your wheelhouse to believe that, then you have to give credit that if he doesn't say how he does it, he still has to be believed on the issue. So here's what a lot of believers would love to do today. They wish they could take Genesis, all the way, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, sort of pull the first five books out. And then if we could just eliminate that, it would eliminate so many arguments that people have towards the Bible. Uh, some would love to just take the Old Testament out, start at Matthew, go to Revelation, say, hey, we got enough to try to deal with here, let alone add this into the argument. Here's, here's a thought for you. i just throw this out real quick. And, uh, this, this is a, man, this is where, this is where faith collides with, with trying to figure out. It's where the finite crashes into the infinite. Yeah. The infinite, uh, how about this? The finite will never fully grasp the infinite. It's impossible. So some of what we believe does come by faith. Here then becomes an issue in trying to get rid of Genesis. It can make sense if we just concentrate on Jesus, but when you throw in Moses, we got an issue. So here, Jesus, in John chapter 5, 46 and 47, has these words. If you believed in who? Moses, Moses you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, look at this, how are you ever going to believe what I say? So what's he saying? So Christ is smart enough to recognize and realize, so there's people sitting in our church today who totally don't believe anything Moses wrote. There's no way God could create the earth in the manner that he says he created it. There's no way that it could be done in intelligent design where he actually picked out and chose and allowed for it to take. There's just no way that could take place. It had to happen randomly. It had to happen over billions and billions of years so this would just sort of evolve that way. So here's what, here's what believers are doing in church today. They're discrediting Moses while saying, I believe in Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, you don't believe in Moses who wrote about me. Therefore, how are you going to believe me. I don't even know if you just heard what I said. That's deception right there. So here's the problem. If you start picking and choosing what you do and don't believe, where do you start and where do you stop? 
You become the source of truth. And that's the very problem in the world today. Their source of ultimate truth is in here, not here. And it's the same spirit. That's deception. That make sense? So, now look, I'm a, I mean, my goodness, there's a mouthful right there. Is that a debatable issue? And is there, is there things there, Pastor? Gosh, I, I can't understand it. I don't understand it all either. Here's the prerequisite, though. God doesn't say, when you understand this, believe. He just asks us to believe. You don't need to check your brain at the door to be a believer. But you do need to bow your knee to be a believer. Does that make sense? All right, let me, let, me, let me hit this other one real quick because I, I, I just think this one's really important. How about this? Uh, in the church today, Western world in particular, um, an area where we have seen just become such an um, uh, ultimate truth versus relative homosexuality. Yes or no? That is an argument today. How many of you would love for me right now to make this definitive in your mind? Dan would. The rest of you are like, I just want you to move on because that's the, therein lies the, how about this? In the last several months, I've received several emails with people asking me, will you ever teach a message on this? Pastor, would you teach a message on this? So um, earlier in the week, our executive team was together discussing um, this next year and what we're going to be teaching up through the fall. One of the series that we want to teach is called You Asked For It. <laughs> Literally, you asked for it. So I'm going to invite you. N number one, we don't shy away from it. We're not afraid to address it. But how about this? Let's work together. So we're going to, in the next few weeks, open up. We're going to give you a way to send to us what you want us to address. Where we won't duck it, we won't walk away from it, and we'll do our very best to address the issue. And we'll give you the opportunity to ask, hey, I don't understand this, or I misunderstand this, or there's so much about this. What does the Bible say? Or what's your position or your stance? Or how do you, how do you go about this in the world today? So we'll invite you to partake in that with us. We're going to call it You Ask For It. And we'll let you know. It'll be a series upcoming here in just the next couple of months. I think you'll really enjoy that one. But rather than try to answer all those things when it comes to, like, where are you on this and where are you on that, how about, let me just say, this needs to be the rule that we all start with right here. Yes. You know, if you ever come to us for counseling, our counselors, they are taught and trained that the answer has to be found in the Bible or we can't help you. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody comes here that we would be incompassionate towards them if they disagree with us. But it does mean on our side of it, we feel like we can only give you answers that God has given to us. Anything else makes us giving our version of truth. So we've got to stay with this right here. That's how you stay out of deception. And let me move to the second one real quick. So Jesus is warning us to watch out, talking about the kind of day that it'll be. Deception is one of the things that'll be loosed in the world today. The second one, world instability. World instability. Now here's Jesus 2,000 years ago predicting what the world would look like before he returns. Matthew 24, 6 and 7 Jesus says these words, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Next sentence, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All right, from my newspaper this week. I bet from yours too. Okay, here, here were the global issues on what Jesus said this week from my newspaper. Russia and Crimea are going at each other. Well, Russia's going at Crimea. Well, Crimea's trying to just survive. Yes or no? And by the way, those of you who, years and years ago, I remember listening to biblical prophecy and they predicted, because the Bible says that Russia is an end time player. They predicted Russia to be an antagonist in the world that would lead a battle against the nation of Israel at some point. And then with the fall of the Soviet Union, I can't believe how many people said, see that biblical prophet, you can't count on it for nothing. Russia's not even out there. Hello? They're here. To put on. Okay, so you didn't get my joke there. Um, how about Syria? Did you read about Syria this week? My front page of um, my newspaper today said Israeli-Palestinian peace talks stopped. North and South Korea shot ammo at each other. You see that? China redrew their boundaries arbitrarily to the South China Sea. Just redrew it. And then told these nations, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, and Indonesia, you are at risk if you come into our ocean. But they've drawn the boundary to within a couple of miles of the coast of each of these nations now. Japan and China threatened each other with nuclear weapons. So, uh, now, here's the thing. So, but yeah, John, you can see this though at any given time. Yeah, because we live in an age that Jesus predicted, huh? How about earthquakes in diverse places? A huge one in Chile. You see that one? Two in LA. And then California going through a drought that they haven't experienced in its history. It's modernized history. And here, Jesus, let me read the words to you one more time. You will hear wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So I know they've always existed, but yes or no, we sure see more of them now than we've ever seen before. Yeah. Crazy. So some of you are going to sit there and just go, ah, yeah, okay. So, so here's Christ talking about it 2,000 years ago in light of watch out. When you see these things, be aware. God, he can't make it any more plain than that, huh? So let me give you the third one real quick. I thought this one was, was interesting. Uh, signs in the sky. Signs in the sky. Matthew 24, 29. Remember, Jesus is asked, what would be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he launches into the discourse. So verse 29, here's what Jesus says. Immediately after the distress of those days. And then there's a quote. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So I don't know if you paid attention. Um, John Hagee, pastor down in San Antonio, Texas, deals a lot with end time stuff. Really smart guy. I don't know if you like him or you don't like him. I, there's a lot of things about John Hagee I like a lot. 
John, John wrote a book last year talking about blood moons. I don't know if you're even aware, but on the news, Channel 9 this week, they did a whole thing on the blood moons. Anybody see this? Any of our campuses? They did a whole five-minute thing on blood moons. And all, the, both reporters said, um, well, there's a biblical reference to this, but we don't think it has to do anything with the Bible. <laughs> so, here, here's, here's what's going to happen in the next two years that's fun. I just, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize the odds of this taking place when it takes place. Okay? The odds of it taking place when it takes place. Considering the idea of blood moons, Christ refers to that, there is a known phenomenon, if you are a star watcher, called a tetrad, T-E-T-R-A-D, a tetrad. A tetrad is, okay, now try stay with me, four consecutive full lunar eclipses. Four consecutive full lunar eclipses in a two-year time period separated by exactly six months. So four full lunar eclipses in a two-year time period separated by six months. Now listen to this. I'm going to give you the dates this is going to happen. And I, I, it's in your newspaper this week. It was on the news this week. Google it. You Check this out. You will be amazed when you read this. Here's when these lunar eclipses are going to happen. They fall on exactly April 15th this year. April 15th is the beginning of Passover. Six months later, on exactly October the 8th, 2014, there will be another full lunar eclipse. That day is the exact day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Next year, listen to this, six months later, 2015 now, April of 2015, April 4th, 2015, we will get the next full lunar eclipse. Guess what day that's on? The beginning of Passover. And then six months to the day later, there will be one more, the fourth one. Guess what day it begins on? September 28th, 2015, the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles. The exact, not a close to it, not within two days of or after, on the day of these events. So now imagine, the Jewish calendar has been in effect for 5,600 years. And here Christ predicts that the signs that you will see that are around the time that I will return will be signs in the sky. Here we have four consecutive full lunar eclipses to the day starting on Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles. In our history, it's only happened eight times, ever. Back to back, three times. And on the exact date, this is the first time. Now listen to this. Listen to this. So you go, Pastor, you're saying that within the next two years, Jesus is coming back. No. No, 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 no. Although maybe. No. Here's what I am saying. Jesus said 
these are the signs of the season you will be in when it's close. Close. All right, all right. He then, let me do this. He concludes Matthew 24 with these words. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. That's verse 42. All right, now, now, I've taught you this many, many, many years. Let me, let me do this as quick as I can possibly do it. When, when the Bible was written, these guys did not write chapters and verses. They wrote letters. And, and what we did in order for people to be taught then from the Bible, we had to break it up into books, chapters, and verses so that you could refer to it so that the common mass that's listening could open up and find out where you're talking from. Now, that's a wonderful way to take the Bible and make it palatable for people to be able to understand it. Here's the problem, though. People then look at the Bible, and they think that each chapter was a letter, where you may have four or five or six or an entire book being one letter, and you're only reading a part of it. Therefore, you never get the full meaning of what's being said. Does that make sense? So be the equivalent. If you're listening to this message and you cut it off after 10 minutes, you're like, okay, I got everything he was saying. No, you didn't. There was more to it. So Matthew 25 is still part of the discourse of 24. It, it's still going in the same vein, the same talk. So then Jesus teaches us in Matthew 25, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were prudent. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. The prudent ones took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Verse 5. While the bridegroom was delayed in returning, every one of the virgins got drowsy and began to sleep. But at the midnight hour, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Come out to meet him. Verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the prudent one, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, Nope, there's not enough for us and for you, go instead to the dealers and try to buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom showed up. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But Jesus answered, truly I say to you, I don't know who you are. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour that your Lord will return. So look, this is a sobering message. If you sit here and you think, I was just talking about maybe some facts and figures that might be happening, you're missing the point entirely. Here's what Christ is saying to us. You need to be ready at all times because you don't know when this is going to happen. And then he uses the comparison of the virgins. I want you to understand this. The virgins represent the whole church. Five of them were wise, five of them were foolish, and the only difference between the five, five of them had brought oil with them, and the other five didn't. And then the condition before the bridegroom returned because he was delayed in coming, what did they all do? They went to sleep. It speaks of the spiritual condition of the church before Christ's return. In other words, it will be possible that the very church that Jesus is coming back for will not be prepared when he shows up. What will make them ready? Five of them got oil before the journey. 
and five of them tried to run back to wherever you get oil from. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's your Bible study. Maybe it's a ministry you're involved in, or maybe it's at your kitchen table. I don't know. However, here's what he's saying. When the cry comes out, the only ones that are going to be ready were the ones who were ready ahead of time. And here's the problem with this message. You're sitting out there right now, and you're going to think to yourself, I'm ready. Are you? Because you don't get ready in the flesh, and you can't get ready once he calls. You've got to make sure that you're in relationship with him through the Holy Spirit so that no matter what condition, when he calls out, you can respond to the call. So I'm teaching you right now. You have an opportunity today to get ready. You will not get ready. Look at me, friend. When it calls himself, Jesus himself is telling you, it's too late that you will not be able to get ready then. You get ready now. So, Pastor, how do I get ready? It's as simple as what he said. The oil is the Holy Spirit. And the only difference between the five is some people realized, I need to be connecting with him in relationship so that when he calls, I can respond. The other ones are going to want to respond, but it'll be too late to respond. So I just don't believe that. Then this isn't your ultimate truth. And what is your ultimate truth? It'll be whatever's in your heart that tells you that's ultimate truth, and that will mislead you. Some people try to get ready for the last days by buying generators, getting gold, and living out in the country. I want you to hear this from me right now. While that might be a nice way to live life, it will not help you get ready when the bridegroom calls. You cannot prepare physically for a spiritual issue. This very issue will be an issue, according to Jesus, as he delays his coming, more and more of his own people will sleep and slumber over this issue. Be ready. Church, be ready. So we're going to close right now. We're going to connect to God. How do I get ready? God, make me ready. Fill my heart. Fill my life. Let me know you. Make my heart ready. That's how you prepare for this. It's not like having to get saved. It's like, God, keep me ready. Do I make sense? Yes. For those who have ears to hear. Make your heart ready. This first song, we're just going to Take the opportunity right now to ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to make us ready. I don't think there's a particular way that that looks or a particular thing that you need to say other than just God. I want to be ready. I take what you said seriously and I want to be ready. If God wants to deal with something in your life, let him deal with something in your life. Your job is only to present yourself. God, make me ready. After we do that, spend a few minutes allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to settle in us, then our worship pastors will release Communion is going to be self-serve today, by the way, at the crosses. We really want the focus to be not on the stuff, but on the Holy Spirit right now and allowing him to speak to our hearts. Church, do me a favor. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet, Father. Our hearts are open to you. Every one of our campuses, God, we want to prepare right now. Lord, we don't know how long, and the Bible doesn't even make that the issue. 
The issue is being ready. God, we want to be ready. In our hearts, Father God, speak to us. Draw us to you. Fill us with your spirit, God. No matter how long it takes, God, fill us with your spirit so that when the call goes out, the response can be we're ready. We thank you for that now in Christ's name. Amen and amen.